Awesome. Hey, I hope you guys are doing well tonight. I don't know if you realize this, but it's fall now. Are y'all excited about that? I have been, like, I would rather spend more time outside than inside with the weather like it's been the past few days. It's been so nice. Uh, and it's also just revive becomes a vibe in the fall. Like when the time changes, I'm telling you, it is, it is awesome. So, um, hey, grab your Bibles. If you aren't already there, go ahead and turn to Colossians. Colossians, we're going to be finishing up chapter one tonight and jumping into just a little bit of chapter two. Um, if you are just joining us for the first time in our Colossians series, uh, we are spending eight weeks in the book of Colossians. This is week three of eight. Um, we spent the past two weeks going through kind of the first two big chunks of chapter one, and now we're finishing chapter one tonight and jumping into a little bit of chapter two. Uh, but I have a question for you, uh, kind of where I want to start tonight. I wonder, uh, have you ever received an invitation that you could not turn down? Have you ever received an invitation that you could not turn down? I had a few, oh gosh, I about unplugged myself. Um, I had a few uh, different thoughts that came to mind whenever I was thinking about this question. I've already told you guys of a few of the things that came to mind. And so I was thinking, 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 what am I going to say? That is like my personal story, an invitation that I couldn't turn down. And then it hit me. It's football season, so this story is very appropriate. Stop. Many of you, many of you may know that I am a fan of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I don't know why you're booing. Again, they don't need any more booze. It's like, anyways. Um, so, yeah. Now, as you've heard from up here, most of the time, they are not very good. However, there was a year in 2017. Uh, not too many years ago, we were actually pretty awesome. And we made it all the way to the AFC Championship. And if you want to discuss that at a later time, then we will. I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, but part of the process of getting there was they were playoff bound that year. And uh, we won the AFC South. And so we were able to host a home playoff game in Jacksonville. Now, I would go to all kinds of Jaguars games because, again, they're terrible. Tickets are cheap. It works out really well. Um, but at this time, this was not just the normal Jacksonville Jaguars. This was the playoff-bound Jacksonville Jaguars. And I received an invitation from a few of my friends to go with them to their first home playoff game. And uh, I got to join them. Um, literally, they, so they played the Buffalo Bills. And uh, I, I got to witness my team in their home stadium win their first home playoff game. Uh, and it was incredible. Like, it was for somebody who's a football fan, again, pulls for a terrible team typically. It was the coolest experience ever. And looking back on that, I go, I would have been crazy to pass up that kind of an invitation. And I'm sure many of you can think of an invitation at some point that you've received in your life that you'd look back and go, there's no way I could have passed that invitation up. Well, well tonight, there's an invitation on the table for you that is very similar. Uh, an invitation that you do not want to pass up. And the invitation tonight that's on the table, uh, it, it comes from Jesus. And it's an invitation to know him. I, I kind of want to uh, kind of want to pick up where we left off last week. So last week we talked about how, uh, how Jesus, we, we read in verses 15 to 23, that Jesus deserves 
all the supremacy. We talked about how Jesus was the firstborn of all creation and how he was the firstborn from the dead. And that places Jesus in the the highest possible position in our life uh, and in the entire world. Like there is no one higher than Jesus. And Paul tonight looks at that same Jesus and is going to bring him uh, down, not off of his seat of supremacy in our life, uh, but going to show us that that same Jesus can be intimately known by us. And that's the, the invitation that's on the table tonight for each and every one of us, that tonight you can know Jesus. But if we're going to understand tonight the passage that we're going to be looking at, we kind of have to understand a little bit of context that's going on there in the church at Colossae. So what's going on in the, at the church in Colossae at this time is this popular philosophy that was referred to as Gnosticism. Gnosticism, that's G-N-O. Gnosticism, okay? Gnosticism. Now, you got to know what Gnosticism is if we're really going to take a deep dive into this passage tonight. So Gnostic thought, Gnosticism, uh, was all about knowledge. It was all about exclusivity. It was all about mystery. Basically, the, uh, these people who fell under the Gnostic philosophy held the belief that certain people could gain a special knowledge that would lead to spiritual depth, like spiritual perfection. So if we were to put that into practice tonight, like if we were to, if that philosophy were to take root here, here's what it would probably look like. We would put somebody at the top of the stairs, and um, as you, you know, pulled in the parking lot, walked in, walked up the stairs, that person... Uh, would would ask you something along the lines of like, hey, do you, do you have the, the secret knowledge? Like, do you know what we're talking about kind of thing? And if you were to say yes, then they would say, right this way, take your seat. Everything will be normal. But if you were like, no, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know Jesus, but no, I don't think I have a secret knowledge, then they would say, no problem at all, right this way. They would lead you right there back to the kitchen, and we would have like a few little chairs set up in the back room for you. It kind of put Christians into like two classes. It was like JV and varsity. And these Gnostics believed that if you had this secret knowledge, like, like whatever it was, this mystery that would be revealed to you, then you were in a class all your own, like that you could experience spiritual fullness or perfection. And the thing that I want us to know tonight is that knowing Jesus, it's not reserved for a certain class of people. It's not reserved for those who have memorized a significant portion of their Bible. It's not reserved for even people who have only sinned like a certain amount. There is not a single person on this planet that does not have the invitation extended to them to know Jesus. There are no classes, no tiers, no exclusivity. What Paul writes to counter this false teaching in the church of Colossae is simply this. If it's boiled down into one sentence, it's this. When you give Jesus all of you, you receive all of him. When you give Jesus all of you, you receive all of him. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, that there is no one that is excluded from the invitation to know Jesus. If you give Jesus all of yourself, you in turn receive all of him. So I have 
get this, one point tonight. I know, it's mind-blowing. Normally, I'm like a two, three, four-point guy. Does it, does it mean that it's going to be any shorter? No, okay? Uh, but I have one point, and my one point is very simple. Jesus can be known. Jesus can be known. And my prayer leading up to tonight, my, our prayer all throughout this week has been that there would be people who entered in this room tonight that don't know Jesus. And that tonight, they would accept the invitation to know him. So let's read uh, tonight in, uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, starting in verse 24. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So let's stop right there. Paul begins this section of scripture by saying that he rejoices in his sufferings. Now, if you remember back from week one, we talked about how when Paul talks about suffering in, in, in a passage like this, he's referring to the fact that he's currently writing this letter from a Roman prison cell. Like Paul is chained to a wall uh, under guard by Roman, uh, by Roman guards, Roman soldiers. He is in prison as, this is, as he is putting pen to paper. So this is the suffering that he rejoices in. But the question is not the suffering. The question is, why does he rejoice in the suffering? Like why is it that he can be chained to a, a, a Roman a wall in a Roman prison but go, no, I, I take joy in that. Well, it's all in what he's suffering for. In, in verse 24, we just read it. He says, for your sake. That's the reason that he's suffering. He says, the reason I rejoice in my suffering is because I'm suffering for you. Talking about the church in Colossae that he is writing to. Now, now we, we understand this concept of, of suffering, right? Like, um, we know that we will suffer if we perceive that something on the other end of the suffering is worth it to us. I, I just watched last week, this, uh, it was this video that documented this guy that uh, I follow pretty closely. He owns his own company. It's like a supplement company, like health supplement kind of thing. And he ran this 100-mile race through the mountains of Colorado. It was crazy. It's called the Leadville 100-mile marathon. And so I'm watching this video documentary of this guy going through absolute torture. Like literally every time there's a checkpoint, it's like he comes back bloodier, sweatier, more tired, more like unhealthy looking. I mean, it is taking a toll on this guy's body. But the reason that he was able to accomplish this was because he knew that something existed on the other side. See, he had been preparing with, with this team of people for like almost a year to get ready to run this race. And he knew that on the other side of the finish line, he was going to cross that finish line and that team would be there waiting to celebrate with him. He was willing to suffer because there was something worth suffering for. See, now I, I look, look at that, a video like that, and I get inspired. And I'm like, I'm going to go run a 100-mile race in my neighborhood. I'm just going to keep running in circles until I hit it. And I, here's what happens. I get like two miles in. And it's not worth it anymore. And, and the suffering, it, I, I don't suffer anymore. The reason is because 
there's, it's not worth it, right? <laughs> like, that's just how it goes. If we perceive that there's something worth suffering for, we'll take joy in suffering. And whatever Paul had to share with the Colossian church was so important. It was so worth it to him that he was happy to sit in a Roman prison cell if it meant that the people of Colossae could come to know this truth, that Jesus can be known. Now, what do we do with the rest of that verse, though? Because we see Paul says, all right, I'm rejoicing in my suffering so that you can know that Jesus can be known. But, but then he says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Like, what do we do with that? Because that honestly sounds really weird. And to, like, to be quite straightforward, it sounds almost theologically incorrect. It sounds like Paul is going, hey, that, that work that Jesus did on the cross where, where he suffered and died, like he didn't do it all the way. And now I have to fill up what was left. That doesn't sound right at all. So, so what do we do with that verse? Well, we know that because of what we talked about last week, Paul is in no way saying that the work of Jesus was insufficient or incomplete. Because last week he talked about the cross and how it was fully and finally satisfying. So we know that Paul is not contradicting himself, but what is it that he is saying? He's not saying that he is making the incomplete work of the cross complete. He's saying that he is sharing in what was completed on the cross he was, he's sharing in the work that was already accomplished. That he's suffering for the church. That he's now sharing in the mission that the cross was meant to accomplish. But why? Like, what is that mission? What is it that he was trying to accomplish? At this moment is where the book of Colossians begins to take shape. It's where we start to see a sense of direction in Paul's writings he says that the reason that I'm doing all of this, the reason I'm writing to you, is to make the word of God fully known. In verse 25. That's, that's what it says. That's the final words. To make the word of God fully known. Now, you know how like certain words or topics like if you're just walking through, uh, let's say, campus and you're, let's say you're walking through Hogue or you're at Truett, you're walking through the SWC, all these other colleges, you're walking through somewhere with people. You hear somebody talking, there can be like little words or phrases or topics that automatically like draw you in and you, and you want to start listening. You, you might even want to like interject into the conversation. You know, like if, if you're walking through and you hear somebody over here talking about SEC football, you Georgia fans, you start barking at each other like a bunch of lunatics. It's like these little trigger words. You, you'll hear somebody talking about something like that, and then all of a sudden, it's like, man, it catches your ear, right? And, and you feel like you, you have to interject. You feel like you want to be a part of that conversation. That's what Paul is doing here. He, he uses the language to make the word of God fully known because remember we talked about the Gnostic philosophy. They believed that there was some kind of secret knowledge that would lead to being able to fully know Christ. And so Paul writes that I I'm writing to you to make the word of God fully known so that every single Gnostic would then stop and go, wait a second, what is he talking about? I, I want to know that secret knowledge. He he's writing like that to draw them in. 
read in, uh, in verse 26. Paul goes on, he says, The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Same thing. Paul is now talking about some mystery, some like profound uh, thing that's going to be, or that has been revealed, to which the Gnostics would have been like, Tell us what that is. Like, we, we know there's some secret knowledge. We know there's some, some mystery. Like, what is it? He's got them on the edge of their seat. So for us, what mystery is Paul talking about? What is so secret that has been hidden for ages and generations but now revealed? And what does it have to do with us today? See, Paul, Paul I mean, we, we know there, there is no secret knowledge. We know that there is no mystery. Paul was using that to draw them in, but what, what is it that he was talking about? What is that mystery that's now been revealed? Is there, is there anybody in here that would say that you are a fan of puzzles, like jigsaw, like the cardboard things with the funky shapes? Okay, a couple, don't be ashamed. Don't say go dogs either. That's not the right place for that. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So you guys, if you ever put together like a, you know, a big 500,000 piece puzzle, whatever, you know, uh, you put that thing together and the way that it works is you're given a box top, right? You're given that box top and that kind of guides you in putting the puzzle together. You can look at the picture of the final product and then you can look at the pieces and you can kind of figure out from that what goes where, right? Have you ever done a puzzle like that? without the box top, without a final picture of what the end product looks like, all of a sudden, it becomes a completely different animal, right? Like all of a sudden, your job is not to look at the the box top, the final product, and go, this piece has got to go here. It's just to figure it out. And with each new piece that you put in the right place, you get a clearer and clearer picture of what the final product is. My wife and I watch uh, that show... Uh, Survivor all the time. We love Survivor. And that's the kind of puzzles that they do on there all the time. They'll like just give them pieces of something and they'll say, do the puzzle. And then as they work, as they figure out what pieces go where, little by little, they have a clearer picture of what the final product looks like. This is exactly what has taken place throughout all of human history, starting in the garden. This is exactly what has taken place. And this is the mystery that Paul is talking about. See, if you don't, don't worry about turning there. I want to read it for you. If you turn all the way back to the front of your Bible in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, we get our very first picture, our very first clue, our very first piece of the puzzle that begins to, uh, it, it begins to show us the final product, something that's coming, someone that's coming. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, this is after Adam and Eve have, had been tempted by the enemy. And, and he came in the form of a serpent, tempted them to sin. The Lord said to the serpent in verse 14, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. 
in that moment, we get a little piece of the puzzle. The framework of the final product is established. That one day, there's going to be someone who comes to crush the head of the serpent. To fully and finally defeat Satan forever. But to the people of that time, it's a mystery. Like, we know the final product. To us, it's not a mystery because, just as Paul said, that mystery has now been revealed to the people of God. But to the people of that time... All of human history was piece by piece by piece, figuring out what the final product looked like. In Genesis chapter 3, what we just read, we learn that this this thing, something, this mystery, it's going to come through a woman. We learn a little bit later that, that this is... This is someone in Genesis chapter 12 that's going to come through the line of Abraham. It's another piece of the puzzle. In Genesis chapter 12, we learn that this person will serve as a channel of divine blessing to the world. Like he will bring about a worldwide blessing. In Numbers chapter 24, we learn that this person will bring destruction to the enemies of Israel. You see how those pieces are starting to come together? In Deuteronomy chapter 18, we learn that this person, this mystery, this this person will come as a prophet to Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, we learn that he'll come from the line of David. In Isaiah chapter 4, we learn that he's coming to wash away the guilt of sinners. In Isaiah chapter 9, we learn he's going to come as a child and a son. In Isaiah chapter 7, we learn he'll be born of a virgin and he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Isaiah 53, we learn that he will be rejected by man, pierced by the Jews, and crushed by God the Father. We also learn in Isaiah 53 that he will die as a substitutionary sacrifice for sinners to provide forgiveness and salvation. In Psalm 16, we learn that he will be resurrected from the dead. In Isaiah 49, we learn that he will bring salvation to Israel and reign over her as king. And in Daniel chapter 7, we learn that he will be given glory and everlasting dominion over all the nations of the earth, and that his kingdom will be established forever. That's the mystery that's going to be revealed. Piece by piece by piece. And now we know what that mystery is, and his name is Jesus. He came and fulfilled every single one of those prophecies. We have the final picture now. His name is Jesus And he can be known by us. In verse 27, Paul writes, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what the mystery is. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That you, that Jesus that we just read that was prophesied about, that you can know him on an intimate level. And all of those things that that we just read that he would accomplish for the people of Israel, he didn't just accomplish that for the people of Israel. He came for the entire world so that you can know him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now this is just as significant to us today as it was to the Colossian church then. We read in 27 just then 
that this mystery is not only for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. And, and the Gentiles simply just means non-Jews. So in other words, we're saying that this mystery, that Christ, can be known by anyone and everyone. See, for the longest time, the things of God, before Jesus came onto the scene, the things of God were only reserved for God's chosen people, the, the people of Israel. Like, if you were a Gentile, someone who was not a Jew, you could not worship in the temple. You, you could not sacrifice in the temple. You could not study the scripture. Like, this was something only reserved for God's people. But when Jesus came on the scene, that invitation was extended to each and every person who would ever live, including you and including me. That's why in Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, he says, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, no longer slave or free, no longer male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. No one is excluded from the offer to know Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, his death counted for every single person who would ever live. That invitation is extended to you. Jesus can be known. No matter your race, no matter your background, no matter the family you were raised in, no matter how many things you've done wrong, like your past sin, your past failures, no matter what kind of talents and skills you bring to the table, nothing can exclude you from the ability to know Jesus. We can't forget in the middle of all of this, that truth. We cannot forget that, that there is not a single person here who is outside of that invitation. And you might say, yeah, but you, you don't know what I've done. Like Jesus would never want me because of all the ways that I've messed up. It's not true. And, and, and I'm not just saying that. I know that because he already died for you. When he went to the cross, it was on his mind, every single sin that you would ever commit for your entire life. And he already covered it. He already died to pay that penalty. You might say, all right, that, that's great. But, but like, I don't know enough about scripture. Like, I, like I don't know enough to, to say that I, that I know Jesus. Well, neither did his disciples. Like, we read story after story in the Gospels. Of the, like Jesus going to the disciples and saying, hey guys, like here in a few months, I'm about to die. I'll be dead for three days and then I'll be raised from the dead. And they look at him and they're like, what do you mean? I don't understand. Every single time. Like literally, if you are someone who looks at this and, and you're puzzled, you're confused, you don't know how any of it makes sense, you would make a great disciple. Because it's like what they were known for. You might say, all right, that invitation, it all sounds great. But, but I can't accept it because I'm still trying to clean myself up. Like, I'm still in this sin struggle. I'm still uh, burdened down by the weight of these things that I continue to do. I still uh, go back to the, this thing that keeps me in bondage every single day, every single week, no matter what it is. To that, I would say, look, the, the beauty of the cross is that we don't have to clean ourselves up. Because Jesus already sees, sees us as clean. We don't have to be in a place of perfection to accept God's free gift of salvation. Because that takes something that's a gift and makes us like try to earn it. 
and you don't earn a gift, it's freely given. No, no matter what place you find yourself in tonight, no matter what your, your sin struggles look like, Jesus offers that invitation to you to know him. No matter who you are, you can know Jesus. Now, we have to remember why Paul is writing this in the first place. It says in, uh, in verse 25, at the end of verse 25, remember, he writes that the whole purpose of the, the reason that he's writing this is to make the word of God fully known. Like, that's, that's his goal that he's trying to accomplish. And this is interesting because it's like that answer is just given to us here in verse 28. See, in, in 26 and 27, he kind of goes into a little bit of, of what it looks like to know God. But in 28, he gives us the answer. What does it look like to make the word of God fully known? Verse 28, it's him we proclaim. Let's keep reading. It's him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. Paul says, what does it look like? What what does it look like to make the word of God fully known? What does it take to know Jesus completely? Verse 28, it's him. Jesus is all that you need. If you want to experience what full maturity in your relationship with God looks like, you don't have to look anywhere other than Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at. And, And this is where the Gnostic philosophy, like the people who subscribe to that philosophy, philosophy would be totally confused. They, they would be like totally thrown through a loop because remember, they thought that knowing God was the result of some secret knowledge. They thought that it had to be given to you or revealed to you. But Paul says, no, do, do you want to know how to make the word of God fully known? Do do you want to know how we can present everyone mature in Christ? How we can have that spiritual fullness? The answer is Jesus. It's all found in him. When we give Jesus all of us, we get all of him. That's at the end of the day what Paul is writing. In in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Every bit of it is found in him. It says it again there in verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found Nowhere but Christ. Jesus is all we need. Now, now Paul is serious about this, right? He said it in verse 1. He's serious about the struggle that he is going through to get this message out. The reason that he would tell us in in verse 1 that he wants us to know how great a struggle that he is going through for the sake of all these people he's trying to get this message out to is because he knows this. He knows that it's a very dangerous place to be when you believe in this Gnostic idea. 
that it's a very dangerous thing to believe what the Gnostics were pushing. That, that knowledge of Christ and maturity in Christ is something that has to be earned or learned through something other than Jesus. Like, like he, he sees that as dangerous. That we would go, man, if I want to be spiritually mature, I need Jesus plus something. That's what they believed. And he goes, that cannot happen. That is incredibly dangerous because to believe that is to say that Jesus is not enough. And that following Jesus means taking Jesus plus something else. And y'all, I'll tell you tonight, listen, if your salvation is based on Jesus plus something else, it's not salvation that you have. Because salvation is placing all of your faith, all of your faith, all of your trust in Jesus. When, when I was studying this over the summer, this, uh, this book of Colossians, preparing for this series, I was absolutely rocked with the implications of what this truth means for us. Like, I truly believe that if you can wrap your mind around this truth that we're talking about tonight, that, that it would change everything about the way that you follow Jesus. Paul is, he's basically saying this, if we boil it down, if you can wrap your mind around this truth, I'm telling you, it'll change everything about the way that you follow Jesus. Paul is basically saying, your relationship with Jesus is not like your relationship with AT&T, okay? Here's what I mean. When you go to the store to buy a phone, how many of you guys pay for your own phone bill? Moochers. All right. So you get one of these when you, when you go do it and you pay for your own. Go to AT&T or Verizon or whoever you choose. And uh, you tell them, hey, I'd like, you know, iPhone, whatever. They hand you this. You, you, get, you get the phone. But it's not yours. Like, I have it, it's in my possession, but right now this doesn't belong to me. It like halfway belongs to me because I've had it for like a year. So I'm like halfway through the payments. The, the way that it becomes mine is that slowly over time, I pay. I, I make deposits. And slowly but surely, the ownership changes to me. Does that make sense? It's like a payment plan. It's like a house, right? You purchase a house and it's not yours. You live in it. You, you get it, but slowly but surely, as you pay, it becomes yours. That is not how your relationship with Jesus works. In, in no way is that even close. See, we, we a lot of times come under this idea that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, like, man, we experience salvation, and then we start this process of trying to do things to get us more and more and more of him. It's like the more I do for Jesus, the more I get of Jesus. I think a lot of times that's how we see it. Like the more that I do right and don't sin, the more of Jesus I get. And my goal is just to get to the end of my life and have as much of Jesus as I possibly can. But salvation is not a payment plan. When we give Jesus all of us, when we truly make the decision to accept his invitation to know him, we get all of him. When we give Jesus all of us, we get all of him. Now, now here's what that means. Like, if that's true, if we really believe that, 
that there's no secret knowledge, no special revelation that's necessary for growing in our relationship in Christ. That means that when Jesus comes into our lives, when we make the decision to follow him, when we accept his invitation to know him, that he is as close to us in that moment as he ever will be for the remainder of your life. That's a big deal. Like he, he is as close to us in the moment that we get saved as he ever will be. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that once we give our life to Christ, that there's no work on our part to grow closer to him. I'm just saying that he's as close to you now as he ever will be. And that could, should completely change the way that you, that you go about trying to mature in your relationship with Jesus. See, maturing in Christ, it doesn't look like trying to do things to get closer to him. What it looks like is trying to know him more and make him more known. It's not your job to try to, to do enough good things to, to like move yourself closer to Jesus, to get more of Jesus. It's simply your job to know, man, when I gave my life to Jesus, I got every bit of Jesus that I possibly can get. And it's simply my job to get to know him more and to make him more known. Sanctification, which is a big word for maturing in your relationship with Jesus, it's not about you and Jesus growing closer together. That's not at all what it is. It's just about you getting to know him more. And the idea is that as you get to know Jesus more, you'll fall more in love with him. And because you fall more in love with him, you want to be more like him. It doesn't mean that you get more of him. It simply means that you want to be more like him and that you want to know him more for the rest of your life, that you want to continue to grow in your knowledge of him. Now, this is just as impactful of a truth when we mess up, when, when we sin. See, it's easy to think that when we sin, that, that we get further away from God, and that now we have to like make up for that sin with, with good things to get close to him again. Right? It's like, oh man, I, I made the mistake. I, I looked at that screen again, and, and all of a sudden, like now I gotta go get in my car and I gotta turn on worship music and, and I gotta kind of get myself back to that place that I was before I messed up. And that could not be further from the truth. In no way is, is that what a relationship with Jesus looks like. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've accepted that invitation, there is nothing you can do to make him love you any more or any less than he does right now. You have all of Jesus, and there's nothing, no, no sin that can change that. Because he already paid the penalty for every single sin that you'll ever commit for the rest of your life because he loves you that much. And there's nothing that you can do to change that. So here's what I want to do. I want to invite the band uh, back up. We'll read these last two verses. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. 
So Paul says to the Colossians there in verse 4, he says, there will be people that will do everything that they can to try and convince you that Jesus is not enough, that Jesus is not sufficient. He says they'll try to delude you with plausible arguments, which means they'll simply try to convince you that everything we've talked about tonight is not true. That, that in order to make sense of life, in order to get the answers that everyone's been searching for, that you either don't need Jesus or you need Jesus plus something else. And that could not be further from the truth. But I, I think that you'll find that while, while those, those people trying to oppose the truth in, were present in Colossae, they're also present in our world today. Right? Is that, is that not true? Like, we are the generation that is notorious for looking for answers more than ever before. Like, like our generation is notorious for wanting to make sense of life, for wanting to get the answers to life's big questions, like who am I, why am I here? That, like, our generation is notorious for going after those answers, but we're also notorious for looking for those answers in all the wrong places. Have you picked up on that? Like, like we see it all across culture. We, we look for those answers in places like social media or, or the internet or some, some human's wisdom. We, we look to our feelings. We think that those answers, how to make sense of life, are found in us. Like we, we look to ourselves for true and false, right and wrong. We, we think those answers are found in us. We think that those answers are found in science or psychology or philosophy. And every single one of those places, when we try to look to those things to make sense of life, we're looking for truth in the wrong places. The only source of truth, the only place that truly offers us the answers to life's deepest questions is Jesus. It's the only place that we'll find those answers. And if Jesus is sufficient, which is what Paul has spent this whole passage arguing that he is, that, that he is sufficient, that you need Jesus and nothing else, that means that this life, the only thing that you need to get those answers is Jesus. All you need to do is know him, and that invitation is on the table for you tonight. You, you don't need Jesus plus whatever your feelings tell you. You don't need Jesus plus a self-help book. You don't need Jesus plus the opinions of other people. You don't need Jesus plus the answers that the world tries to sell you, some science, some, some philosophy, some study. In this life, everything that you will ever need is found in Jesus. And the invitation to you tonight is on the table to get those answers. To, to end the search. The mystery has been revealed to us. We, we now see the full picture. And his name is Jesus. And he gave his life for you on a cross to pay the penalty for every sin that you will ever commit for the rest of your life. Tonight, you can make the decision to know him. Now, 
I am in a room this size, I am sure that there are people who, man, you, you came in tonight, and, and I don't know your story. I don't, I don't know what you walked in here uh, having just left from, but, but I'm certain that there are people tonight in this room who have not made the decision to accept that invitation. And, and I know that a lot of times it can feel awkward to sit in a room like this and, you know, a pastor's going to, like, ask you to raise your hand or respond or, or walk to the back. I'm not going to do that tonight. Tonight, I, I want to make this, I want to make this simple for you. This is not a room that lends itself well to, like, you know, stand up, walk to the back kind of thing. So, so here's what I want to do. We are going to, here in just a second, be, be led in another song by our worship team. And I want you to, to, during that song, really reflect on where you stand when it comes to knowing Jesus. Have you made the decision for yourself to accept his invitation to know him? Do you, do you, have you truly accepted that invitation? And that doesn't mean that, that you're in a place where, man, it's like Jesus plus fill in the blank. Because if that's what you've been trusting in, you have not made the decision to place your trust in Jesus exclusively. And so tonight, the band is going to play, and I want you to take some time during this song and figure out where it is that you stand. Have you accepted that invitation to know Jesus. After that song's over, we're going to put a phone number up on these screens. Just a normal phone number. And that phone number, it goes to a real person. It goes to our college staff, and, and it will remain anonymous. We will, uh, we will make sure that we take good care of your information. But here's why we're doing this. Because we want to provide you with a way to respond. And we know that a lot of times in rooms like this, it can feel weird to, especially in a room where there's no room to move, it can feel weird to move. And so all we want you to do after this song is over, if you would say, man, I have not made the decision to accept the invitation to know Jesus, simply want us to text your name. We want you to text us your name. That's all that we want is your name, We'll get your phone number, and here's what we're going to do with it. I'll just be straightforward with you. I'll tell you uh, what our next steps will be. We're going to take your name and number, and we're going to text you, and we're going to text one of our small group leaders. We have the most incredible small group leaders. They are your age, your stage of life, and we're going to connect the two of you so that at some point this week, they'll take you out to lunch or coffee, and we're going to connect the two of you so that you can talk to someone about this decision that you're saying that you want to make. We feel like it, it is the simplest way uh, that, that we can offer to you to respond tonight. And so that, that is, that's your next step. As we sing, the band's going to lead us. I want you to think for yourself, really reflect. Have you, for yourself, accepted the invitation to know Jesus? Because the incredible thing is there is not a single person in this room that is excluded from that invitation. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, that invitation is extended to you and it is the, it is the one invitation in your entire life that you will not want to pass up. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray for us. 
want you to, I want to go ahead and invite you to stand. We're going to let the band lead us in this next song. Father, I pray that tonight you would move in hearts. God, that your Holy Spirit would convict. Lord, there is nothing about my words that have any power. There is nothing about my words, God, that uh, can change any heart. The only one that can change any heart is you. And God, as we sing this next song about the simplicity of the gospel, I pray that people would realize tonight how simple it truly is. That if there's anybody in this room, Lord, that has not made the decision to follow you, that tonight would be the night of their salvation. That, God, they would make the decision to place all of their trust in you and nothing else. Because, Jesus, you are sufficient. You are all that we need. It's in your name I pray.